Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 58. I believe we're at 58 episodes of 211's Baseball Talk. My name is Dylan Baker. We've got a great episode on the menu for you today as uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about expanded playoffs last week due to the fact that our podcast was released quite literally one minute before um, they announced the expanded playoffs for Major League Baseball this year. So we'll talk a little bit about expanded playoffs, not dive too much into it, because at this point it is relatively old news. It's a week old by now. So uh, so we won't we won't dive into that too, too much. We will talk about Nate Pearson's debut. We will talk about the Miami Marlins and their COVID cases. And we will talk about Joe Kelly and his suspension, the Astros, the Dodgers, Let's get right into things because it's going to be a busy episode. We'll talk all about the Blue Jays and their first six games of the season. Of course, this episode of the podcast is going to go out just minutes before first pit, the first pitch is thrown between the Blue Jays and the Nationals today. Uh, this is Thursday, July 30th. Normally, the trade deadline would be tomorrow, and we'd be super excited to bring you some awesome trade deadline coverage. Unfortunately, this year, we're not going to be able to do that because the trade deadline is moved back a month, but we will still give you in-depth looks and uh, and discuss big trades when the, when the time comes. And it's going to be really interesting to see how teams approach the trade deadline because in a 60-game season, you can feel like you're competing all the way until the end. And you can do that in a 162-game season as well, but... Fewer teams will be doing that because things even out in a 60 game season. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a grind all the way to the end and more teams will think that they're in it than they, they potentially, uh, than they they really are. So I'm very interested to see how this trade deadline plays out. I think we'll see far fewer sellers than we normally do, especially with the expanded playoffs this year. So let's get started on those expanded playoffs. The, uh, players union and the, the league approved, uh, playoff expansion, from 10 teams to 16 teams. That's eight in each league. Um, the teams that make it are are based on the following criteria. The top three seeds are going to be the division winners. So the AL East, the uh, AL Central, and AL West, same thing for the National League. They're going to be the top three seeds regardless of record. The fourth, fifth, and sixth seeds, well, they're obviously going to be seeded based on record for who's number one, who's number two, who's number three. Um, and then the same thing will happen for the fourth, fifth, and sixth seeds, who are all going to be the second place teams in each division. Those teams will be ranked four through six based on their records. The last two teams are the interesting teams because they are going to be uh, the two best teams in the league based on records. So division has nothing to do with uh, with what with with these guys making the playoffs. That means that the American League East, which is pretty stacked. Uh, with the Yankees Rays headlining the Jays and the Red Sox potential playoff teams. The Red Sox off to a slow start this season, but uh, they're still a potential playoff team. We could see four American League East teams or four National League East teams because they've got a great uh, they've got a great division over there make the playoffs. We could see a fourth place team in the playoffs. And that's something we don't usually get to see. We don't ever get to see because of the fact that divisions are five teams and there are only two wildcard spots. So there is that expansion there. And so the wildcard game which is normally the two wildcard teams duking it out to see who gets to face the top seed in the AL or NLDS. Uh, that's going to be three a three-game series. So there will be a three-game series played in the higher-seeded team's ballpark. All three games will be there. So the, the wildcard series will be best of three. All three games, the higher-seeds ballpark. One versus eight, two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five. Now the division series... Uh, will be your best of five uh, traditional division series. Nothing changes there. Um, uh, 
and it'll be it'll be two 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 one the home road format uh the the higher seed will get the first two games at home the lower seed will get the next two and the higher seed will get game five there and it'll be a winner of one versus eight versus winner of four versus five and winner of two versus seven versus winner of three versus six so they won't be reseeded there uh the league championship series it'll be the the two winners of um of those series there. And then the world series, of course, will be as usual with the, uh, the winner of the national league against the winner of the American league. But that added round is going to uh, be very interesting because more teams can make the playoffs. Obviously that's, that's, that's a given with expanded playoffs, but the teams that could be pushing their way in now because of the playoff expansion are the interesting teams, the blue Jays. They're most certainly one of them. The Toronto blue Jays are a team that's on the verge of contending this year. And in a 162 game season, I don't think that they make the playoffs. I think they have a shot. I think they finish just on the outside, kind of like the 2014 Blue Jays, who uh, who were who had an above 500 record, just missed out on the wild card. I think that's kind of where the 2020 Blue Jays would have been if it was a 162 game season. Obviously, it's not a 60 game season. Could with with traditional playoffs could mean that the Jays would have made it just because of the fact that it's so short. And if they got off to a hot start, they could carry that momentum all the way into the playoffs. Now with expanded playoffs, it's even more likely that the Jays or a team like them makes uh, makes the postseason. The Angels, a team that's been on the outskirts for a long time, Mike Trout has only played I think it's three or four playoff games. This guy is the best player of our generation, and he hasn't been in the playoffs at all besides that one season where I think the Angels got swept even though they had the best record in the league. So they need pitching the Angels do this year, and and I don't know that they would have made the playoffs either, but with the expanded playoffs, there is a good chance that the LA Angels make it. Um, the White Sox and Cleveland, they are two teams that that would have been battling for for the final playoff spot and that are going to continue to battle this year because either one of those two teams could finish second in the AL Central. I don't see a way that the Twins don't win that division. Uh, obviously, the Royals and Tigers are not making it anywhere, but I don't see a way that the Twins don't win the American League Central. And then Cleveland and the White Sox are going to be duking it out for second place and uh, that eventual final seed potentially in the AL Central if, uh, if no other division takes... Uh, four, or if it's not AL East, AL West, I think the Twins and the White Sox could very easily, or sorry, pardon me, the, I think Cleveland and the White Sox could very easily be battling all the way until the final game of the regular season for a playoff spot. So that'll be a race to watch. Uh, the AL West, I, I touched on the Angels there. I think the A's and the Astros are going to make it. Um, the Angels, they're going to be battling for the last one of the last two spots as well. It's going to be quite the event, and the Blue Jays and the Red Sox potentially are going to be battling for the uh, for one of those two spots as well in the American League East. So it's going to be a crazy race to the finish this year, and uh, I love what I'm seeing in the American League. In the National League, I think this heavily favors the NL East because there are four teams that, in one division that could potentially make the playoffs, and I think that's what we're going to see with the uh, National League East because the Braves look good so far, the Phillies look good in the short time that we've seen them. They look okay. I mean, they did lose two to the Marlins, but they're, they're the Phillies. They will bounce back. Um, the the Mets look look less Metty this year, and the Nationals, you know what? They've struggled, but I think that they can bounce back quite easily. In the NL Central, the Brewers and Cubs are my picks to lock down the top two seeds in that division. Um, the Reds, though, they could be pushing for a spot. They're doing well to start the year. Luis Castillo, an exciting young arm for Cincinnati, who could uh, who could pitch his way into 
the playoffs for the Reds. They've obviously got a fantastic offense, but it's all going to depend on the pitching. Sonny Gray has looked fantastic since he went uh, to Cincy. Um, and Trevor Bauer, of course, also there. He's he he is primed and ready to go for a bounce back year this year after a tough one last season. Um, so I think Cincinnati could push for a playoff spot. And in the West, I see it as uh, the Dodgers and the Padres are more than likely the locks for me to make the playoffs there. I don't think the Rockies will make it. I don't expect the Giants to make it. The Diamondbacks could be fighting for that uh, that last spot as well. For me, it's the it'll be the Dodgers and the Padres, one and two in the National League West, just because the Padres' rotation has looked fantastic to start the year. And obviously their offense is potent with Will Myers, Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, Trent Grisham has looked good for them. Um, so it's all, I think it's going to be all Padres and Dodgers in the national league West. We could see the diamondbacks, but I think it's less likely that we see the diamondbacks in the playoffs. So to summarize my picks for the top two seeds in each division, AL East, I got the Yankees, number one, the Rays, number two, AL central. I've got the twins, number one, and we're going to go Cleveland, number two, AL West. I've got the Astros, number one, the A's number two. Uh, and then the last two teams, I think it's going to be. One crazy, crazy fight between the Blue Jays, the White Sox, and the Angels. Three teams vying for two spots. I don't know if the Red Sox will be able to bounce back from their slow start. I know we're only a week into the season, but it is a 60-game campaign. I don't know if the Red Sox are able to make it this year. I really don't. Uh, So I think that it's going to be the Blue Jays, the White Sox, and the Angels battling for the final two spots in the playoffs in the National League. Um, I've got the Braves finishing number one in the NL East, and this is tough because a few teams have gotten off a slow starts. I'm going to go with the Phillies finishing second in the division, Um, and then in the NL Central, I'm going to have the Cubs winning it with the Brewers finishing number two, Uh, and then the NL West, I've already touched on it there. It'll be Dodgers, Padres, one and two. Now, I could see uh, the Mets and the Nationals taking those last two spots uh, I could see the Reds battling for one of them and the, the Diamondbacks. I doubt it. So I think it'll be a three-team race between the Mets, the Nationals, and the Reds for those last two spots in the National League. Either way, if this season does get played, and you'll see why I'm saying if it does get played in a little bit, if it does get played, it's going to be one hell of a ride to the finish because it's going to be an exciting, exciting season this year in 2020. Um Moving on to why we're starting so late, why it's a 60-game season. The coronavirus, obviously, has uh, has changed the world in ways we didn't expect it to. Uh, nobody could have foreseen the the impact that it has had on the sports world. Um, and the Miami Marlins clearly could not have foreseen the fact that they, that they could be infected because they have 19, as of the recording, as of this recording, 19 total cases on the team. Um, I believe 15 players and four coaches have tested positive for coronavirus. Obviously, Juan Soto tested positive before the season. Since then, no other player besides the Miami Marlins team has tested positive. The Philadelphia Phillies announced today that two members of their staff have uh, have tested positive for coronavirus. Um, and I believe that their away clubhouse uh, clubhouse manager did test positive as well, who was managing the Marlins clubhouse when they were in Philadelphia. The Phillies-Yankees series was postponed. The Yankees ended up playing Baltimore last night. They'll play them again tonight um, before both teams go their separate ways. The The Orioles were supposed to play the Marlins in what was the series of the season 
between Miami and Baltimore. Fortunately, that was postponed. Uh, the Marlins won't play a game for the rest of the week. Who knows if that'll be enough? I'm interested. I'm interested to see how they bounce back because they're going to need players that can play in the big leagues. And yes, you've got the 60-man player pool. That's what it's there for, to pull players from there. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many of their prospects that were going to want to rush into the big leagues like that. Obviously, they've got they've got the guys to do it. Every team's got a 60-man pool. They might be looking for players that are major league ready. Um, so free agency like Yasiel Puig, who Hopefully, we hope for Yasiel has bounced back from the coronavirus. Obviously, he signed with the Braves or was expected to sign with the Braves and then tested positive for coronavirus. So, uh, so Yasiel, we wish him the best. And hopefully, maybe he ends up in Miami and has a good year after after dealing with uh, with the virus. But uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Miami is in a tough spot. And a lot, of, a lot of blame is being thrown at Major League Baseball right now. And I can't say that it's unwarranted. I think that the handling of the or the, the, the safety precautions are not spectacular for Major League Baseball. Um, but I do think a lot of the blame has to be thrown to the way that the, that the U.S. has managed this pandemic because it has not been too pretty uh, what we've seen over there. And uh, it's part of the reason why the Marlins have been so infected. Um yeah, so I, I don't know what's going to happen. And the Blue Jays, obviously, they've got a they've got a series to play in Philadelphia this weekend. They're supposed to play three in in Philadelphia because the the because Buffalo is not quite ready. Are they going to play that series? I don't know. With the Phillies, two staff members testing positive, it's likely that we will be that the Jays will play there because um, because it's just it's just staff. But I don't know if they want to take that risk. So we'll have to see what happens there. Then the Nationals voted not to go to Miami, and then obviously we heard about the postponements. It's going to be quite the scheduling, the, the scheduling change that MLB has to make um, with with this season, with the with the viruses and, and stuff like that. So uh, we'll have to we'll have to watch for that. Um, moving on now to the events that transpired in Houston the other night. Joe Kelly, of course, Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher, Los Angeles Dodgers fireballer. Um, Throws very hard, does Joe Kelly. Uh, on a 3-0 pitch, through behind the head of Alex Bregman uh, and then uh, taunted Carlos Correa after striking him out. Obviously, it's the first time the Dodgers and the Astros have matched up since the uh, scandal was released. Uh, the Astros and Dodgers um, uh, World Series was hindered by the sign-stealing scheme that the Houston Astros had going. So it was the first time they had matched up since the scandal was revealed. And Joe Kelly, of course, took it into his own hands. He got suspended eight games for what he did. Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager, also got suspended. And uh, Dusty Baker, the Astros manager, got fined. So Dave Roberts got one game. Uh, Dusty Baker got fined. And Joe Kelly got eight games for doing that, for not even hitting a guy. Because I don't think it hit Bregman. I think it missed him. It came pretty damn close. But I do think that it missed Alex Bregman. Um... And I mean, yes, obviously, 3-0 pitch. You shouldn't throw at a guy on a 3-0 pitch. You go for the you if you're gonna throw at him, you throw at him on the first pitch. I understand that. Does it warrant an eight-game suspension? No! It does not warrant an eight-game suspension. Nothing in this in this season warrants an eight-game suspension unless it's the worst thing we've ever seen, unless he hit the guy and then literally spat in his face in a pandemic. That warrants an eight-game suspension. That warrants more of a suspension. I saw somebody do the math. Um, comparing, you know, eight games to a normal season, what that would be. And it's, it's, it's between, uh, I heard different reports. One person said 22 games. Another person said 24 games. That's a lot of games for a guy who threw a ball at a person. 
like he didn't cheat like the Astros did. The Astros cheated, won a World Series because of it. We're on top of the baseball world because of this cheating. And the players got nada. No suspension whatsoever, but Joe Kelly throws a baseball behind Alex Bregman and taunts Carlos Correa, which I understand causes the benches to clear in the middle of a pandemic. Nobody wants that many players congregated into one spot. I get that. But at the same time, how do you suspend him eight games? I expected a suspension to be coming. Do I think he deserved one? Maybe, maybe not. I expected a suspension, though, and... I didn't expect, though, that the, 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 the suspension would be so extreme. Eight games! It's a 60-game season! He's going to be out for over a tenth of the season because of, of, because of the fact that he threw at somebody. Oh, my goodness. This is, it's ridiculous that he has been suspended so many games. I get it. He wasn't on that Dodger team that lost in 2017. But Rob Manfred, in not punishing these Houston Astros players, should have very well known that they were going to get thrown at this season. Houston should consider themselves lucky that there are no fans in the stands that would, that would taunt these guys relentlessly because of what they did and boo them so very much. I don't understand how these cheaters don't get punished. What they did was so against the rules and not a single punishment. Guys that took PEDs are getting suspended 80 games or or even more if it's if it's not the first time. But guys that cheat the system, a team that cheats the system gets no punishment besides a couple of draft picks, loss of their GM and loss of their manager. Get out of here. Come on. Come on, Major League Baseball. Be better than this. I try to have faith. I tried to say that this 60-game season was going to be this great plan and that I was very hopeful. We've already seen an outbreak on a team, and we've seen a suspension that is ridiculous. Ridiculous! Joe Kelly should not have been suspended eight games. Anyway, moving on. It's been a while since I've ranted like that on the podcast. I had to let it loose uh, because I personally find it ridiculous, and I'm sure you couldn't tell. In my rant. Moving on to the Blue Jays now. They started off their season pretty well. Three and three. Uh, somewhat as expected. Teams or analysts expected the Blue Jays to hover around 500 this season. Um, to, to be a little bit over, a little bit under, depending on who you ask. Um, and that's exactly what they've been so far. They're three and three. Obviously, they could have very well been six and oh right now. They've played close games every single game. There have not been blowouts. There have not, there's not been a single game where I've said, you know what? They got outplayed. And that's, that's amazing because last year, I think I had said that six times in the first game, it was terrible. Last season was terrible. The year prior was bad this year. They've played well. The rotation looks solid. Hyunjin Ryu, the opening day starter didn't go five innings, which is a little bit disappointing, but it was okay. You know what? He, he did what he was asked and, uh, and he, he, uh, led the blue Jays to a win pitching four and two thirds innings, um, in that opening day start. And Matt Shoemaker pitched a dazzling six innings against the Rays uh, on Saturday. Unfortunately, the Jays lost that game. And uh, get ready for another rant. Maybe not as passionate, but uh, about the the moves there um, in that game. Sunday, they lost as well uh, in extra innings to the Rays. Six to five, I believe, was the score. Uh, And then Monday, Tuesday, they beat the Nationals, only allowing two runs in those two games combined. And then obviously a 4-0 loss last night at the hands of the Washington Nationals. Um, so the rotation has looked solid. I have been so very impressed with the rotation and what they have done. Hyunjin Ryu was, was good in his first start. Matt Shoemaker, fantastic. 
Uh, Sunday, we saw Thomas Hatch and Anthony Kay combine for some very solid, solid, solid innings. Hatch in his big league debut looked fantastic. He looked calm. A little bit of struggles with command early on, but he figured things out. He was able to calm down. Uh, Hatch could potentially be a good good piece for the Blue Jays down the road. Um, And then on Monday, Trent Thornton looked great in Washington. He pitched a solid five innings. Tanner Roark did the same. Uh, Very impressive. Uh, were there two outings and then uh, Nate Pearson, Nate Pearson. He's here. He's arrived and boy did he put on a show pitching five scoreless innings for the blue Jays, five strikeouts. Pearson looked fantastic. Touched up to 98.6 on the gun. I'm going to round it up to 99. He touched 99 on the gun, uh, which was very impressive. Dotted the black with, uh, with a 99 mile an hour fastball, which was fantastic. Um, the offense is looking, is looking good. Uh, they're manufacturing runs a lot more than they were last year. The Jays relied on the long ball heavily last season, and they didn't have many runs to show for it. Um, they could have had a few more wins if, if you know, they were able to manufacture more runs last season. This year, it seems to be a different story. The Jays are doing a great job of manufacturing runs, and they get guys on base. Most of the time, they don't waste those chances unless you're facing a Max Scherzer like they were last night. They don't let these chances get away from them too often, which is fantastic to see. Um, because if the Jays can manufacture and hit the long ball, obviously you got big bats in that lineup, Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Lourdes Goriel, Vladimir Guerrero, Rowdy Telez, Travis Shaw when he comes back, the mayor of Ding Dong City, as I learned on the weekend, uh, Randall Gritchick can hit you the home run. These are guys that can hit home runs. But if you can manufacture runs, Teoscar Hernandez can also hit the long ball. If you can manufacture these runs, that is so huge for the team because that boosts uh, the runs scored immensely and it, it allows you to, to, to not rely on the home run as much. Not say, okay, well, we haven't hit any home runs in this game. We're probably going to lose. It's the eighth inning. We got two guys on. And, you know, Santiago Espinal is at the plate. Espinal, of course, not really a home run hitter. But Espinal has shown that he can move the ball around the field a little bit with his, with his bat. Um, and he's got his first big league hit out of the way. I think we, we could see him relax a little bit now. Um, I mean... The Jays have done a great job offensively of manufacturing runs, and I think a lot of credit has to go to Dante Bichette, who was ejected by Stu Sherwater last night, uh, the home plate umpire, and Raddy Telez, of course, also ejected. Um, Stu Sherwater's strike zone last night was not good. It was not good. It was inconsistent. Uh, it, it, it was all over the place. And you know what? The call on Raddy Telez to strike him out was a strike, but uh, obviously it was a borderline pitch. It, it, was, it looked like a strike. Uh, it was the right call from Sherwater, but I think there was a lot of frustration from the Blue Jays uh, team, and I'm shocked that we didn't see any Nationals ejections either because he was not great um, on either side. There, He got the obvious strikes most of the time, but uh, there were some pitches that were quite evidently balls that were called strikes. Um, he had a big zone last night, and Dante Bichette and uh, Rowdy Telez were both ejected. Dante, I think, has played a huge role in the Blue Jays' new offensive approach because last year, Guillermo Martinez did a good job in his first year as hitting coach, uh, but Dante allows that uh, allows the Jays to, to allows Guillermo to have some help on the hitting side of things to, to, to you know, um, focus on certain things with certain guys a little bit more because Dante can take the reins with others. Um, apparently, he's been working hard on the mental approach to hitting with these guys, which is awesome. Dante, a great hire by the Blue Jays for their uh, for their coaching staff. That's huge. Um, I mean, the Jays' offense has looked good now. Let's get into the bullpen. The bullpen is probably the most interesting part of this team um, because 
they'll have a great, great showing in certain games, and they'll have a terrible one in others. And that's six games in, I'm saying that. Um, let's talk about the positives first. Uh, the 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 setup of Dolis, Romano, Bass, and then Giles when he's healthy is awesome. I mean, Dolis, it took him a while to settle in, but I think he can be a great arm for the Blue Jays out of the bullpen. As long as he can figure out that splitter, he's going to be fine. Um, Romano, this guy is, is, is incredible. He's exactly what the Blue Jays wanted to see from him this year and more. He's been fantastic as a high leverage reliever. Obviously, he was a starter two years ago in New Hampshire. Uh, with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, or maybe it was three years ago. Either way, he was a starter in New Hampshire not too long ago, um, and 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 now he's he's throwing 99, 98, 99 to strike guys out uh, on the biggest stage and in, in the eighth inning, getting guy getting pitchers out of jams. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, Romano's looked fantastic to start the year. Obviously, he's not going to be able to keep up. Uh, a zero ERA, but he's looked really, really good all all season long so far. Four appearances in six games. Um, he's looked great. Anthony Bass has been very impressive as well. Bass looked great in Tampa Bay. Uh, great as a potential closer for the Blue Jays. I love that move. Um, if that doesn't pan out, I think Romano's the next guy up for that spot. Uh, so the those those three guys have looked really good. And then Ken Giles. <sighs> The first game he looked fine in Tampa Bay, and then obviously it all fell apart in uh, in the third game in Tampa Bay when he got hurt. Um, when Ken's when when Ken's on, he's he's the guy for the Jays. He's he's fantastic. Um, when he's not on, it can be that, and that's probably due to hell. He's on the ten day IL right now. Um, but I like Dolis Romano Bass. I like that setup um, going into the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. If pitchers can throw you six solid, then you're set, right? Uh, putting Dolis in the sixth inning uh, yesterday, not maybe the move I would have gone with. Um, I would have probably gone with Sam Gavilio if if he had to pitch uh, in the, in that situation. Now, I don't like Sam Gavilio coming in late in games. I don't like Shun Yamaguchi starting 10th innings. I don't like this. What is, what, what is, what is the point of this? Sam Gavilio is a guy that you throw in there. Um, if you need to, if he, you need some guy to throw him, throw you multiple innings in a blowout game. Gavilio is not a late inning reliever. What is he doing pitching in the eighth inning in Tampa Bay in a one, one game? What is he doing pitching in the seventh inning in Washington in a nothing, nothing game? Sam Gavilio, as great as he has been in the past few years for the blue Jays, just kind of being the guy that can get in there and eat innings when you need him to, that's all he is. And the only time you really need him to do that is when you're getting blown out. Because Sam Gavilio should not be coming into pitch in the seventh inning of a close game. He should not be coming in, coming into pitch in the eighth inning of a close game. Gavilio does not throw hard enough to be a late inning reliever at this point in Major League Baseball. He doesn't have the stuff to be a late inning reliever in Major League Baseball right now. I mean, he he allowed that that game in Tampa Bay to slip away from them on, on, on Saturday. And he almost allowed the game against the Nationals to slip away yesterday. And Jordan Romano had to come in, cleaned up his mess beautifully. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. saved that game for the time being, uh, or partially saved that. I think it was a, it was quite the the half half split between Gurriel and Romano for who saved that inning. But Gurriel made a great catch in left field, and then Romano came in, uh, shut it down, 98 mile an hour fastball to strike out. Uh, I forget who it was, but uh, to end that inning. Romano did a great job of working out of that jam that was created by Sam Gavilio, an absolute mess 
there and and then he pitched a solid eighth inning but Gavilio should not be coming in late in games and Shun Yamaguchi should not be coming in in the 10th inning he's had two outings in the 10th inning obviously extra innings runner at second base that's a new thing maybe if they didn't have that runner there we could see a better Yamaguchi than what we have seen so far but right now I I am very disappointed with the usage of Sam Gavilio and Shun Yamaguchi. Gavilio should not be late in games. Yamaguchi sure as hell proved on Sunday that he should not be a late inning reliever. Um, Sam Gavilio is a guy that that is nothing more than, or to me at least, nothing more than a guy who's a mop-up pitcher and maybe a sixth inning guy. Maybe he should have come in after Nate Pearson there. Who knows? Um... But you know what? Shun Yamaguchi has so much trouble with his control. I heard a great, uh, great, great line last night. Um, not necessarily bashing Yamaguchi. Noah Smith, my my broadcast partner with the London Majors, said, "It's not that he doesn't have the stuff. It's just that he pitches from behind in counts so very much, and uh, that's that's what." That's what uh, that's what that's what he struggles with. Yamaguchi has to stop falling behind in counts, especially with the runner at second base um, in in the tenth inning. Not the guy to pitch there. To sum things up, Nate Pearson looks awesome. Romano, Bass, Dolis, they look great. AJ Cole has also impressed out of the bullpen. The rest has been a little underwhelming in there uh, for the Jays, but the rotation has looked good. Um, the hitting has looked good. Nate Pearson again dazzled. Love Nate Pearson so far. He had a great first outing in the big leagues. Uh, Joe Kelly's suspension. It's too much. You'll hear me say that constantly. It's a too its too long of a suspension. Who knows if the Marlins are going to play again this year? I'm running out of time on this recording. Thank you all very much for joining episode 58 of 211's Baseball Talk. I think it's 58. It's been a roller coaster. We're excited to talk to you again next Thursday.